There hey we there. are, guys. Seems like I just saw you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we already so got tonight, a couple people watching. Tonight we're joined by actor, author, podcast host of Unfound, and advocate for the missing, Mr. Edward Denzel. Ed, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me, uh, Jeff and Travis. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Do you yeah, prefer Ed or Edward? Just uh, we'll keep it one syllable. It makes it easy for everybody. <laughs> Ed. Perfect. So, your podcast Unfound is a pretty popular podcast. It's consistently ranked fairly high on uh, I know Apple Podcast listings, and uh, you're available on Spotify. You're available on most podcast platforms. You have a YouTube channel as well as another project you're doing, which is Unfound Live. Uh, so how long have you been doing this, Ed? Uh, we are coming up uh, on the sixth anniversary, which would be the first Friday of September. It'll be uh, six years. It, uh, the time has flown. Uh, over that time, I've uh, covered 264 disappearances and they think episodes, um, it's somewhere getting close to 330 episodes. Jeez, wow. wow. It's a lot of work. Good for you. This. Thanks. That's awesome. Thank you. Hey, now, hey, what Donna? got you on this path? Uh, it's a lot of things that uh, came together. Now, you have to keep in mind when I started it, uh, I was 46 years old. I, I, I'm going to guess that maybe I'm a, a little older than the average person who starts a true crime podcast or any podcast. It's a combination of going back to the 1970s. I, I was a big fan of the show as a little kid I've been in search of with Leonard Nimoy, uh, which I now, you know, look back at it now, maybe it's a little hokey and everything. A lot of stuff, kind of that <laughs> stuff was made up. But still, as a, like a six, seven-year-old, you're just fascinated. Uh, then you get to the 1980s, Unsolved Mysteries, I'll admit that I eventually started watching Cops. I can remember going over to my friends. They were all brothers. There's three brothers who were still very close friends of mine, my absolute best friends. Their father was a part-time police officer, and they had a scanner in their house. Oh. And I just absolutely used to be fascinated by it. It's even though it's a very little town, you could kind of tell what was going on out there uh, without uh, ever leaving uh, the house. And uh, so there was that. So there's always, I've always been interested in mysteries. And of course, the internet came along. That certainly helped uh, kind of this natural um, interest in this. And then I kind of, that combined with my, um, as you already mentioned, I was an actor for a while working at Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas for four and a half years, where I got a lot of public speaking experience. Um, a lot of improv, comedy, experience speaking off the top of my head, being able to react to people without having something prepared. And then podcasting, the technology, of course, then came along kind of in the, the what would it be, 2008, 2009, 2010. It probably started, you know, becoming something that people were aware of. And then it just, I uh, was doing some other things. Then in 2016, I had started another podcast, was co-hosting with uh, someone else, did a, did a decent job, but only like, think I lasted five episodes and she decided that she didn't have the time for it. She had a regular job. And so she uh, went on her way, but just in that very short time, I thought, you know what? I think there's something there. And um, that's how Unfound came to be starting in September of um 
of 2016. It, it took a lot of things, a lot of different aspects of, in my life and then technology for everything to come together. Yeah, nice. that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome that, that, that we have this ability in the first place, right? That people can mm-hmm. can reach as many people as, as humanly possible with, yeah. you know, anyone can do it sitting from home, from their right. cell phone even. For sure. I, I know that going to high school in the 1980s, graduating in 1989, I could have never guessed that at any point I could so easily communicate with people. Uh, Unfound has fans in Ireland, Australia, Germany, people tuning in from Hong Kong for the live show on YouTube. That's it's awesome. Just, wow. It's just not something that I, I ever could have imagined ever. Now, do you That's have a hard time answering their questions? <laughs> No, uh, I just mean the language barrier. No, they no, they're just typing out English, you know, in the chat room, like doing the live show on on Monday. It's now on Monday nights, but everybody who knows me, I'm really not much of a talker. My brothers and my sister are, but I do have the talk gene. So (laughs) you ask me a question, I'll figure out something to say. (laughs) No, it's interesting to say that because, um, I started listening to podcasts was missing more Murray and then also yours unfound and just how easy you made it sound uh, the structure of your voice the way you tell the story you know it's amazing and that's kind of why I thought hey these guys are doing it they're doing a good job at it, it seems like something maybe we could do and that's when yeah, Jeff and I started working on ours yeah so I, I just want to thank you, you for that and I appreciate that. Thank you that uh, for that. I will tell you that my goal, you know, I'd done that other podcast and I knew it was good, but there were things that I didn't like about it. And so it was just like, you know, like people have, I've never been married, but people have like their first marriages. That was kind of like my first marriage to figure out, okay, these are the things that I can't do. These are the things that don't work. And so I was right. able to do that for Unfound. And really just came down to me creating a podcast that I would listen to if I was in the audience. What what, what is that? And it's really been the the same format. I mean, maybe it's been tweaked a little bit since 2016, but really it's pretty much the same. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Now, what are some cases that have touched you the most or meant the most to you when, when you covered them? You know, I don't like to uh, put it on any list. You know, all of them mm-hmm. are number one. Uh, all the guests, although I do know, you know, all these years later, I do know some guests better than other guests uh, just because of personalities or what they have going on in their lives. Um, you know, I will tell you that some of the guests that who I know the best now, who I can coordinate or correspond with just as friends, um, you know, I could name Joyce Rivetuzzo, uh, whose daughters disappeared here in Florida back in 1979. She lost two daughters to disappearances. It's still unsolved. Um, wow. Lisa Kassoon, uh, who lives very close to me here in Florida, who uh, I get together with maybe every few months. She and her husband will come down. We'll have lunch together. She lost a brother to a, a disappearance up in the panhandle of Florida in uh, 2016. Uh, we've become very, very good friends. And then maybe Mary Lau, who was the first person ever to appear on Unfound. It's the first interview I ever did. In fact, the anniversary was just a couple years ago. It was the sixth anniversary since I interviewed her. 
And of course, she's been an advocate for the missing for many years. She's gotten laws passed in New York and elsewhere. Her daughter, Susie, went missing in Albany, New York in 1998. Uh, those are just a few people who come off, you know, off the top of my head. But, you know, when it comes to the disappearances themselves, they're all number one. It's just maybe I've gotten mm -hmm. to know some guests a little bit better than others, you know, due to circumstances. But, right. you know, I would... Right. You know, I would say that there's certainly disappearances that I've covered that are, you know, more mysterious as to, man, I really just don't even know what to think. So I would might classify them that way. But as far as importance and everything, they're all number one to me. Now, you're an advocate for the missing people, right? Uh, what, are the what types of things are you doing besides just the podcast? Are you involved with other things or... I would, you know, I know you've used that term and I'm not, I would not call myself an advocate. Uh, I, you know, when I think of an advocate, I think of somebody a little different than what I do. Uh, my opinion is that when you put an advocate in anything, it doesn't even have to do with true crime. It could be anything advocate for any sort of thing that's going on in the world that maybe these people, you know, get uh, a little too uh, zealous, a little too overzealous to the point of maybe... I don't know, exaggerating the truth to get more attention uh, to whatever belief they have and everything. And that's not really what I do. I, I think that I talk about disappearances in very realistic terms in that right. on one hand, I'm very critical of how the police um, treat these disappearances, especially disappearances of people who have uh, criminal records or who are known to um be into drugs and things certainly they don't take those disappearances as seriously and i can be very critical of that on the other right. hand i will say the reason that happens is because police officers don't get the training they don't there are no disappearance courses at any uh university out there they don't get it on the job so i then understand on the other side i try to be in their shoes to say you know what they're just making the best decisions they can given what they know, which isn't much. Right. So I would not yep. say that I'm an, a necessarily an advocate. I would say I'm very realistic and I try to represent the guest as best I could in giving them device, advice, but I'm always honest with them. And sometimes that means that myself and the guests disagree as to what happened. They may think that their son or daughter uh, was murdered, and I may say, probably that's not what happened, but that never influences if I'm going to help them or not. I'll do whatever right. they want to do. If you know if they want to go off on that tangent thinking there was a murder, I'm more than welcome to give it the best advice that I have, even though it may be against what I actually think. But I'm always honest with my guests. That's good. Now you, that's good. You covered a case that we covered a couple of years ago, the Lost Boys of Pickering's, what we called it. Uh, I can't remember what you had called yours. Uh, the, called six, six, the Pickering Six, six yes. The Pickering Six, yeah. yeah. Now, you had asked me what I thought had happened to them. Um, what are your thoughts on that case? Uh, I can't. Uh, people know, if you follow the podcast, you know I'm a very, when it comes to theories, I'm very boring. And I don't get extravagant. I don't get very complex because I think the disappearances that have been solved show they're usually pretty straightforward. I just think this is a situation. You get six guys who are at a party drinking and you get them out on this boat seemingly that 
probably wasn't meant to hold six people. Who knows where they went? Who knows what happened? But it just feels like a boating accident uh, to me. Uh, I know that Bruce Ricketts, who was my guest, thinks differently, started talking about maybe there's a drug angle to this. Maybe, I don't see any proof of that, but you know, I just think this is some boating accident that went uh, a boating trip in the middle of the night that went really, really wrong. Yeah. And I think sometimes parents will do that. They'll try to figure out another scenario that you know, could possibly bring them some sort of closure for their loved ones. Yep. So they're trying yep. to think of every, uh, every scenario possible. That's right. Uh, you know, and this is once again, something that doesn't come up in the usual interviews I do, but you know, I will say that, you know, there are a lot of uh, family members who want someone to blame. And sometimes there certainly is someone to blame. Certainly. Uh, I've certainly covered many disappearances where I certainly thought it was a murder that so far has been successfully done. But a lot of times there is no one to blame. You know, that just something happened. You know, the person walked off for whatever reason. And so we just have to remember that. But a lot of times they do want people to blame. And sometimes there's just no one to blame. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's, 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 it's pretty rare, honestly, from at least from my experience that there's a parent who will kind of, or a family member, friend, whatever, that will have that sort of honest opinion of, you know, I think this is, it sounds really bad, but I think this is probably what happened, you know, that sort of, uh, just harsh truth uh, about it, but still, yeah. you know, they still, they still want an answer as to like an actual answer as to that, to how, how it happened, you know? Right. Right. And, and that's why my attitude has always been uh, the truth. Probably no matter what we think that if these are going to get solved, it's probably going to be a bad outcome. So we might as well just be truthful about it. Uh, you know, right. just trying to fool ourselves. That there is someone to blame or something when it doesn't seem like there is, is only putting off the inevitable. If you're going to solve it, the person remains are going to be found. And, you know, there's no signs of foul play. You might as well just start thinking about it that way now. And it probably will be a better way to go forward, try and figure out, you know, how to solve this disappearance instead of maybe trying to, uh, you know, wild goose chases or something. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, one thing I like about your Facebook page is you share missing people. Even if it's not something you're covering, you still want to help spread the word. And I really appreciate you for doing that as do we, we do the same exact thing. We try to help with making posters for families. If someone, someone goes missing, try to give them some tips and tell them, you know, don't, don't drag your feet on this, make, make it important early on. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I, I, I do do that. I do that five days a week, usually between uh, like Sunday and uh, Thursday, I usually take off Friday and Saturday because those are the days that the podcast is coming out. But Friday or Sunday through Thursday, I'll post a couple disappearances, uh, disappearances that happened within the past 24 hours. Maybe I'll just Google it or, or them or something. And I do this for a few reasons. Of course, one, to bring attention to these people, but to show you know, how often disappearances occur but then also to show that a lot of these disappearances that I post there are solved within a few days. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's not a good outcome. A lot of these people do end up deceased, but then you can contrast that between these ones that I'm publicizing every day 
And the ones that we have on Unfound, they are still unsolved 20 or 30 years later. Right. That, uh, most disappearances that occur, they are solved in a few days. And then you get those what are outliers, or which are the ones that I cover on Unfound. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I had mentioned that your podcast and the Missing Moramari podcast kind of what got me into this. Yeah. You also enjoyed that podcast as well, I believe, right? And you're, you're involved uh, in that case. I, I know this is going to be the like the craziest, craziest. I've told the story <laughs> before, but it's been a while. This is the craziest thing. Um, I got into that podcast somewhere in 2015, I'm going to guess. And it must have been on YouTube, I'm thinking. And I can remember they had like this episode that came out around Halloween where they went to a motel and the phone kept ringing. You know, it's, I don't know why I even remember. This might have been episode like seven or eight. And I have to admit around that time, I started thinking, you know, are they kind of making things up? Are they trying to sensationalize things? And I'm not saying they were. I, I just, that was what my thought was at the time. But you have to understand something. Uh, and I, you know, I've never covered Murray's disappearance. It's probably been overcovered maybe. But um, when I got into True Crime Podcasting, I had no idea that it was as big as it was. <laughs> no idea. I've never listened to Serial. I've never listened to all these big ones, you know, the other big ones that were done by NPR. I had no idea uh, about any of that. But yes, the Mar Murray one was the first true crime podcast that I uh, that I started listening to. And I just thought, well, like, it's the only one out there. <laughs> well, was I wrong? Yeah. But that just shows you how I was really just so clueless about the whole thing, you know, up until I started Unfound. And then it was only then that it all started to kind of come to me like, oh, I see. You know, and it's, that's, I think, really, I know it's a crazy story, but it's true. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole, right? <laughs> yeah. I, well, the thing is, is that I, as I've said many times, and I got a lot of criticism for this uh, early when I started it, because what you, what I now know, what I now see is that a lot of people who started their own true crime podcast around them, I mean, that 2015, 2016, 2017 timeframe really crafted it after serial. And that really like that, like that NPR voice, like, you know, really, you know, low and very <laughs> measured and everything. And here I come in as if I, you know, I'm coming from acting and theater and all these things. I have this very, you know, boisterous. Voice very dynamic and everything. And I got a lot of criticism for that. But I think what it did was it really made Unfound a little different. It was even different sounding right. than all these Absolutely. other things that were kind of coming around out around that time. And I think it helped me not knowing about this whole community because I had I known about it, I might have gone down that way too and tried right. to do these other very successful podcasts. I didn't know about them, so I was just trying to figure out, well, what do I got to do? And right, that, right. You know, it's it's uh, but that that's a true story that I just uh, didn't know about any of it, and maybe that's why uh, to this day I think Unfound just sounds a little different. Right, right. Yeah, going against the grain without even knowing it, knowing that there was yeah, even a grain to go against. That's true. That's true. You know, I, yeah, I really enjoyed. Uh, yeah, Mara Murray's disappearance. We've never covered it on Unfound. Probably will one of these days if the podcast goes long enough. But yeah, it was very interesting at the time. Of course, it's still unsolved. Yeah. Yes, it's a bizarre case. It's only so many things that could have happened to her, right? Like, 
Uh, as I, like I said, I, I'm known, I think in certain circles as being Mr. Boring. I think she ran off to the woods and I think she had all intents and purposes, all signs. Now that 264 disappearance in, I can compare her disappearance to many that we've covered on Unfound, where we certainly believe that some young person walked off, ran off due to something that was going on in that, in that young person's life. And in fact, um, the, what I think about is maybe if, you know, outside of the true crime community, you can um, see like on ESPN and elsewhere, all, all these like college athletes, especially female college athletes who have committed suicide, softball players, volleyball players had these great lives. And then they're found dead in their dorm rooms, you know, having committed suicide. It's not a mystery. They're there it committed suicide. There's no thinking that they were murdered or anything. A lot of stress, a lot of pressure, anxiety, all these things bottled up. Mara Murray at one time in her life, uh, very successful, a lot of plans about her future, you know, overachiever. And then she goes to school and then all of a sudden she's ripping off people's credit cards and paying for pizza. Seems right. like she was going through some things. And so that's how I view her disappearance. I compare her to these college athletes that we know who committed suicide due to pressure and high expectations, et cetera. Right. Right. Or, or it even could be as simple as she was scared about after the accident, she'd been drinking. She didn't want the police to see her. So she ran sure. off the woods and. Yeah. And we know yeah. that happens yeah. too. People drinking and driving, they wreck their cars. They run off. They don't want to be caught by the cops. And a lot of times those people do reappear somewhere alive. And then once in a while they they trip and fall, hit their heads in the woods and and die. It certainly could have happened. Right. Yeah. Don't even have to go off too far to, to not ever be found again in the Mm -hmm. first place. Right. Yeah. You know, one, one thing I enjoy about your podcast is the monologue you do in the beginning. Like it just, it pulls the listener in and I always wait for those last words where you say, they were never seen again. Yes. I guess. Yeah. Well, I, and Jeff and I, actually, yeah I, I don't I know if. That. Thank you. I don't think we stole it from you or anything. I think it was like subconsciously that we actually came up with this little monologue too that we do at the beginning of every episode where we go back and forth. Like, what if I told you this? What if I said this? And um, I don't know if it was based off from how you do yours or what, but I just well, put that together as I'm well, sitting I, here talking I, to I, you. I hadn't, I hadn't heard uh, his podcast, but I think that uh, – that that was a collaboration between the two of us, so that might have been organic. I yeah. didn't know anything about Jeff, the monologue. Jeff, so we keep it. <laughs> I, I, I will really tell like you, it. yeah, uh, I will tell you that, uh, I, and I ripped that off from somebody else. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, um, you know, just to you know, let everybody behind the curtain a little bit, as if this was the Winnesota laws. Um, I there was a podcast that I still listen to once in a while. Now, brace everybody. Uh, it's, it's political, but it was called Uncommon Knowledge, and it's hosted by this guy, Peter Robinson, who I met in person like 10 years ago. And he does this, he interviews political people, and that's how he starts his. He starts off, he doesn't start with music, he starts with him talking, this very short, concise statement. Then the music starts, and then the, then the show starts. And I thought, well, he's hmm. one of the only people that do that you know, maybe I'll try that for Unfound. And that's where I got the idea from. And as far as, you know, that little snippet at the beginning before the music, I'm kind of following uh, something that I heard years ago regarding education and everything is for people to really remember something, learn something, you have to tell them that three times. 
So we start right there at the beginning, very general facts, very quick, 30 seconds. And then I do the summary, which is usually a couple of minutes more in depth. And then the third time is when I actually interview the guest. And that's the third time. So you can see that very general, set it up, hmm. set it up. And then there's the, then the finished product when I interview the guest. So it, that's once again, it was on the planning going back to the summer of 2016 when I was thinking about all this. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, it's fantastic. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had another yeah. question. I just totally blew my mind. What, what, what was that other question? <laughs> Jeff, you got anything? About to drink some water. Question. Oh, you are. <laughs> See through water. Oh, oh yeah, it's green. Um, <laughs> we did have a couple people who were saying hello. Uh, yeah. From Texas. Sure. Great. Uh, Proctor. Yep, I know uh, Marlene. Uh, Warren Murray case is one of my favorite unsolved cases. Mm-hmm. And she goes on to talk about the case. The fact that it was winter and snow on the ground. It was cold and she went off into the road and the last person to see her was actually the bus driver. It's mm-hmm. a mystery. And Some I and I did listen to your yeah, I did listen to your uh, podcast on I know it's one of the ones you did very early on. Uh, but I did have a chance to listen to that a couple of days ago. I was out. Uh, we had talked about disc golf before the show started. I was act- actually out doing a little practicing while I was listening to it. So uh, that was oh, cool. To listen to just to see what you guys were all about. Oh, we appreciate Thank it. Thank you for listening. Chasey asked, "Is the the podcast is called Unfound?" Yeah, his podcast is, is called Unfound. We actually have a link in the description. If you're on YouTube, it's in the description of the video. We also have it on. Uh, on Facebook as well should be in the description of this podcast. And well, I, we, I wasn't what sure I, if you had any other. Uh, if you had any other, we just shared your YouTube. I wasn't sure if you had any you. other links that you wanted to share. Um, well, we could... The Facebook page, uh, our website, theunfoundpodcast.com is the website. Right, let me get that. I'll share it in chat. Go ahead, Travis. Ed, do you know who Jesse Waters is from Fox News? I, I do. Uh, I don't watch Fox News, but I, in passing, you can't help. Like when I go to YouTube, you know, there's random videos that pop up there, you know, <laughs> recommended or, you know, how those things end up being recommended. I don't know because they certainly don't go along usually with my searches on YouTube, but I know who he is. Yes, I could probably pick him so, up. So um, as I've told you, like I was a big fan of your show from the beginning. I've listened for a few years now and it's good stuff. But in my head, I have no idea why, but you were Jesse Waters because you guys actually sound a lot like when you talk. So in my head, that's who you were. And then the first time I saw you, I'm like, oh, this guy's got long hair. Looks nothing like Jesse Waters. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, my dad is a Fox News viewer. I'll have to ask him. He certainly knows who Jesse Waters is. I'll have to ask him if he thinks that his son and uh, Jesse Waters sound alike. It's a little weird. Um, I'm originally from Western Pennsylvania. And I lived there. I went to college at Grove City College, which is also in Western Pennsylvania, but going up toward Erie. And I moved to Las Vegas in 1998. I was there to 2011. And then I moved here to Florida in 2011. And I still do kind of have a little bit of that Western Pennsylvania accent, a little bit, but I've gotten rid of a lot of it having moved away from there, but I can still hear it. So then I start wondering if, well, if I sound like Jesse Waters, is he maybe from that area? I, I really don't know. But we Western Pennsylvania people, you know, we'll say like instead of downtown, we'll say downtown. 
and we'll use words that they don't use anywhere else in the United States. Instead of cleaning up a room, you read up a room. And I have to admit, some of those things do slip out <laughs> once in a while in my everyday conversation. But I, I don't know if you can see this, but what's it? I, I don't. I can't. I can't oh, he's from it. Pennsylvania. Philadelphia, Jesse Pennsylvania. Well, well, Philadelphia, well, it's a totally different area, but he is from Pennsylvania. Uh, but uh, Western Pennsylvania has its own, you know, kind of dialect. It's like halfway between New York accent and Chicago accent. Yeah. So that's that's kind of uh, interesting. But I really, when I do the podcast, I really try to keep it very Southern California neutral. Try to. <laughs> so I also read you're a Steelers fan. You know, I am, uh, but I have to admit, not following them as much uh, as I used to, <laughs> certainly when, uh, you know, during the Ben Roethlisberger years early on, when he was a, 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 became the starter, got drafted, became the starter of the Super Bowls and all of that, certainly, but I will tell you, kind of around, I don't know, 2015, 2016, I don't watch the NFL as much as I used to at all. I don't know. Um, That's because you're doing the podcast seven days a week. (laughs) Really, uh, I don't know. There's just something about it. I just just started turning away from it. And I do, though, I am a subscriber, of course, to the Disc Golf Network. So I I watch live disc golf whenever I can. (laughs) And I have to also admit, although I'm not a soccer fan, I'll watch the U.S. men's team. I'm certainly looking forward to them playing in Qatar uh this this fall or winter um but i used to be a big pirates fan but they stink so i'm not following them (laughs) if they get to be good again maybe i'll think about watching them again i've not been converted even though i live technically in the tampa area i don't follow the tampa teams i don't care about the tampa teams so um it just depends i like ball golf my my favorite athlete is phil mickelson and he's like my age so maybe that fits yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm a huge Kenny Pickett fan. I'm a Pitt fan, so I'm very, very interested to see how he'll be doing. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully year. he does well. I'm hoping good things, so maybe I'll get into watching them again. Maybe. So, so to get back to the podcast now, how do you prepare for an interview with someone? Well, first of all, do they reach out to you typically, or do you reach out to them? And then, what kind of preparation goes into it? Uh, most of the time, we are reaching out uh, myself, my assistants. Uh, listeners, uh, guests come to the program from a variety of avenues, but most of the time we are reaching out, uh, I'm reaching out months in advance. So for example, we just covered now, for example, Pickering six, that all came together fairly, really, really quickly, maybe within three weeks. Whereas there was an interview that I did back in 2019 for the disappearance of Dorian Myers. I had been talking to her sister, Donna Jean, since 2016, you know, oh, trying wow. to put it all together. So it just depends. But we're always reaching out. And when we successfully do that, and especially now, six years in, we have a long track record, that it starts with the first conversation. Off the record, nothing the person says is going to be made public. It's just a fact-finding mission for me. And so what I will do is I will talk to them. I will record the conversation. I will get their permission because Florida is a two-party state. And then I will at some point very quickly after that, listen to the entire conversation again and type out all my notes while I'm sitting at the laptop. Typing up what they're saying, what I'm saying, thoughts that are going through my head, things that I think where their holes are, anything like that. 
And then what will happen is usually we'll have another conversation. It'll be a lot shorter, but it'll be very pointed. Okay. These are the things I still don't understand. Did I get this wrong? I forgot to ask this question. You know, what can you tell me about all this? And usually in the meantime, if they have any information, for example, if they've done a FOIA and gotten the paperwork from the police regarding their personal missing persons case, they'll send it to me and I'll take a look at it. Or if they have pictures or video, anything like that, they'll send it to me. I'll look at that. And then it's usually after the second conversation that I start talking to them. Well, I want to have you on the podcast. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to create a, an interview outline detailing in a very organized manner everything that we've talked about. I'm going to send it to you. You can look it over. If there are any changes, additions, subtractions, whatever else, you let me know. And they'll look it over. A lot of times they say, you know what, Ed, that's simply, that's just fine. And then that is what we will use for the interview. I never do cold interviews. Like for tonight, we're just three guys talking and it was just right. great. I was, was going to say, we sent but, you something similar, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But that is not what I do for the podcast. What we're covering uh, is just too important. We want to make it organized because some of these disappearances are very complicated. There could be a lot of names, a lot of locations, a lot of times and things. So we want to make sure that we present the information in a way that people can understand because most of the time, the people are hearing about disappearances that they don't know anything about. But when they come away after two hours or whatever it ends up being, I want them to know a lot about it. I'm not saying they're going to remember every detail, but I at least want them to be able to recite the disappearance in their head. They, you know, they know exactly the circumstances and things like that. So there's a very orderly way that that, that has to be done. And that's the way it's been done uh, from the beginning. But that that's how it happens. And then what happens after that is maybe a month down the road, I will contact that guest again. And we will have another conversation, just how the episode was, uh, uh, you know, was accepted by the people, what people said. I conduct a poll asking people what do they think happened in the disappearance. I do this think tank for Patreon members where we go very in-depth. I give the guests any pointers, any insights that come out of the think tank. And so, you know, I try to leave them in a better place than when I found them. And I try to be more than just an interviewer and a reporter. I try to be a, uh, an assistant to them as well. So that's, it's a lot more work than I think other people do. Uh, this is not a criticism, but for example, a podcast that is very much like Unfounds is The Vanished with Marissa Jones. She does hers a little bit different. I think what she does is she talks to the person maybe a couple times, but then as most people do, they then take those conversations, kind of splice it up, put their own words, you know, in between kind of splicing them in after the fact. And she'll say something like, well, now we're going to talk about, you know, this, and that's how things are usually done. Once again, I think this goes back to me just starting the podcast without realizing what other people were doing. This is the best way I thought it to be done. And so I'm probably the only person that does interviews like that. No kidding. Yeah, that's mm. that's quite different than uh, than the way we do things. Because we, we usually, like, we'll, we'll reach out as well, usually. Um, well, Travis, usually we'll reach out, try and get a hold of someone. And, and our scheduling is, I would say, within a week, usually, when we do our, our, our wow. interviews. And we'll... Uh, you know, we try to talk to a family member or someone directly mm -hmm. involved or someone who has a lot of knowledge about the case. Um, but, you know, 
we'll uh, we'll go over what we can find online about about the case. We'll set up our questions. We do go over, you know, we have a uh, a, a list of things that we'll kind of read off them, sort of like you were talking about this. Like this is the first time a lot of people yeah. are hearing about this. So just because we might know certain details, we have to explain it in a way that you know, like you're explaining to someone for the first time for the listeners, right? Um, but yeah, it's for the most part, all of our stuff is, is all cold stuff. They might talk to us a little bit in the chat, but for me, I, I like it being sort of that, uh, um, sort of cold way so that it's more of like raw reactions to what they're, what they're, you know, they're giving their side of it. But I have to say, it sounds very professional the way that you do it. That's, that's awesome. the, The way that you're doing it. Like, it seems like you're getting real dense information into into everything and putting a lot of work into that that's awesome i appreciate that thank you and i also think for from the guest's point of view the interview outline can be like a study guide they can have it in front of them when we do the interview wherever they are and in fact beforehand they can type out any notes or anything like that that you know if they if there's anything that they're not, not really unsure uh you know sure on obviously all of my guests are always nervous so this right. kind of, I think, maybe puts them a little bit more at ease that they know the mm-hmm. order and they know the information. I mean, they are the experts. I'm not when it comes to their personal disappearance. They know the information. It just has to be extracted. And so right. I want to make it as easy to do that as I can. And I think this is the one way is to do it. And plus, on top of everything else, you don't do an interview and then a half hour afterwards say, dang it, I forgot to talk about that. So that doesn't happen. Well, we actually do that. (laughs) That, Yeah, that's happened a few times. And and actually, I was thinking about sort of the the way that you were talking about uh, how you'll go over conducting the second sort of interview. Um, I was actually thinking about that with our guests is sending them sort of our rough list of the questions we're going to ask in advance. Um, sort of, you know, what we're going to, what we're going to over just to, to sort of prep them for that, you know, so they'll sort of know baseline what questions we're going to ask. But there's, I think the majority, for me at least, uh, most of the time, the questions that I'm asking is stuff that just pops into my head, you know. Um, but it, for me, it's more, you know, kind of uh, what, like what a, what a listener might be asking, you know, something that's like, yeah. oh, well, this is actually kind of curious. Um but uh, absolutely, that, that's absolutely not a criticism yeah. about the way you're doing it all because I, I think it sounds awesome. It sounds like, like I said, a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of legwork, but it, you know, it's, sounds really it's, good. Uh, it is a lot of work, but as I like to joke, I don't have any kids. I don't have any pets. I don't have a girlfriend. This is all I do, so I have the time. Yeah, and, and that, that, that's one of our the things that, uh, that we have to fight through. I'm not working, yeah. but Travis yeah. is. You know, Travis works a ridiculous amount of hours but you know family and all that stuff so but what a dream it would be to be able to (laughs) to to be able to do this full time it's uh, well uh, yeah i've been doing it since the beginning uh you know it's one of those things it's very rewarding to me i feel like it's something that i'm meant to do Uh, i've been very fortunate this past year very very fortunate i cannot thank them enough that uh that I'm not hooked up with Spotify and megaphones. So we've been monetizing the podcast this year. And I think that this has been something very, nice. very smooth. Uh, I get the opportunity to put the ads in where I want them to be, to be, so they don't interrupt the interviews in any way that has certainly helped this year. I cannot thank the Patreon people enough. Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. I can't thank pay the PayPal people. 
uh, the people, uh, the members who are the channel on YouTube. I cannot thank them all enough. I really can't. But really, the Spotify thing this year has been a big deal. You know, it's been really good. Yeah, That's amazing to, to you. To live yeah. what you want, you know, be able to live that life, what you want to do. You can yeah. actually, you know, this is your job, the stuff that you're passionate about. Not many people get that opportunity, right? So, yeah. Yeah. well, That's hey, awesome. don't, don't worry. I still wanted to hit that billion dollar mega millions like a month ago. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, that's Just awesome. Keep, well, you're you're ranked now in disc golf, right? So win a couple tournaments and <laughs> well, I, I'm a, don't get me right. Anybody knows I'm a hacker. I'm an amateur. <laughs> I do play a lot. Once again, because I'm a single guy, I have I, I have the opportunity to do that. Um, but I'm a hacker. Yes, I've won some tournaments. I, I've played in some age protected divisions, 50 and above. But um, you know, the most recent one I was playing in a little more um, open division, but for like players under a particular rating. But uh, besides unfound, disc golf is the other uh, obsession. I don't know if you want to call it that. Passion uh, in your life. In my life. Uh, and there, I had some very dark years and I've been very vocal about this, that I had the yips. Uh, if you're familiar with sports, maybe you've heard about it in golf or in baseball. And I had the yips for some years, uh, really had some anxiety issues uh, out on the course. It's funny, I can speak off the top of my head, you know, during the live show to all over the world, but then I get on the disc golf course and I get anxious. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but I uh, started seeing a sports psychologist not quite a year ago, and oh, it's, it's really helped. Uh, I would recommend anybody that's uh, that's suffering from that uh, to do that because it has made playing the, the sport a lot more enjoyable uh, to relax Good. me out there. And I've gotten back. I'm playing probably the best disc golf of my life at 52, whereas I think most people who've been playing a long time, you get to 52 and you're, you're kind of your skills are going the opposite direction. I actually <laughs> right. find mine are going in, in a positive direction, but it's a, it's a great sport. It's growing. Uh, the, the pros can actually now make like real money. It's really started, so uh, I'm very supportive of all of it. Yeah, I've only played a couple times, but it's 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 a lot of fun. Maybe maybe some of that had to do with the uh, the twisted tea that I was drinking at the same time. But <laughs> it was still a good time. <laughs> That's funny. If, and also for anyone listening, if you guys have any questions, feel free to, to put them in there. Um, yeah, please. Now, now no, I will tell has... you, you know, a combination of disc golf and. Uh, this is a funny story that happened just within the last month. I went to play at the Masters Worlds. I qualified in Illinois. Wow. And I got to, you know, hang out and stay with one of my best friends of all time from college. His name is Dave and his family. And on the second day, I got paired, you know, just random pairings depending on your score. And I was paired with these three guys who I didn't know. We're all, all, from all over the United States. But the one guy's wife was kind of caddying for him. And we played most of the round, and we got to, like, think basket maybe. We started on number one. We got to basket, like, like number 14. And she asked – I would talk to her a little bit, but really did not pay too much attention to her. But then she – we had, a like, a, a backup, and she, you know, said something to me that revealed to me that she knew me more than I could have ever known. And I, you know, I said, yeah, how did you know that? 
And then she came up to me and she goes, I just want you to know that I've been listening to your podcast for like three years and I think you're fantastic. Oh, that's so awesome. It was, it was just like, you know, that's boom. Cool. And so we ended up talking about the podcast and everything while we were standing there until we had to tee off again. So you never know this was going to happen, but I've had this happen in Florida too, where um, some people have come up to me and said, Oh, you're that guy that does that podcast. Yeah. I said, yes, I am. So <laughs> you, just, you just never know, you know, when, when it's going to happen, but it was, it's good. And I, I'm, you know, the thing I always worry about is that, you know, one of those things that, you know, you never want to meet somebody you know, you're interested in or, uh, you know, some show that you follow or a band or something like that, then meet that person or that group. And they're a bunch of a-holes. Right. That's the last right. thing you want. Yeah. So when it comes <clears throat> to me and people are approaching me for the first time in person, man, you just do not even know. Uh, I just, I, 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 I think my, I'm myself, but I'm even more myself. And trying right. to be well, gracious and, and everything over the top. You know, because I would never want to meet I was, like an uh, Iron Maiden fan. If I were to ever meet Bruce Dickinson and he was an a-hole, I'd be crushed. So, <laughs> you know. It's funny you say that because I was nervous about reaching out to you, asking you if you'd come <laughs> on and, and talk to us. Oh, shucks. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I really, it's just, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I do have a question. Something we don't realize as hosts is that, you know, people are listening to us and, you know, I think we're all just everyday people. Uh, you know, you, maybe it's not what you're doing full time, but it's something you're putting a lot of work into, but somewhere out there, they're listening to locate in the lost and people look up to you, man, you're doing a great job and you're just doing what you think you need to do. But to them, it's something, you know, very special, very unique. They look up to you. They make the point of, you know, listening to your podcast every week, you know, and they kind of put you on a little pet, a little bit of a pedestal, you know, maybe you can't really blame them. And you know, maybe it just doesn't occur to us, you know, that we, you know, that what we're doing that that affects people like that. Right. That's true. We do have a question here. It says, "Hey Ed, uh, what is the biggest shock you've had as a podcast, or what impact do you believe uh, Unfound has had with disappearances?" Well, I will say that man, the biggest shock. You know, I, I just continue to be. Uh, I, I'm not going to pick out any disappearance, but I would say the biggest shock is that I'm going to be honest about this, that, you know, I can still be doing this after six years. If you'd have told me back in 2016 that, you know, six years from now, you're still going to be doing this and you're going to be hooked up with Spotify and you're going to have to cover 264 disappearances and all this, I would have been like, that's crazy. You know, (laughs) you just really didn't know where it was going to go, but this is where it went. And then if somebody were to tell me that you're going to testify in a murder trial like I did last year in Colorado and then speak at colleges, these were the things that I'm shocked by. These are things that were not planned. The only thing that was planned was the podcast. Everything after that is all just happenstance. Right. So So what what was the test? Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, please, please. What, 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 uh, now, how did that play out that you had to testify in Colorado? What was that? Was that because of... Your, your, your podcast or was that something separate oh, altogether? Yeah, yeah, it was certainly because of my podcast. What happened No is kidding. There, is a, there was a disappearance in Colorado, in Greed, Colorado, in 1984. The, the girl's name, little girl's name was Janelle Matthews. She went missing. 
She was dropped off at her house when her father came home an hour later. And she had a mother and sister. But when he got home, he was the first one to get home. She was gone. Yeah. And there were footprints around the house. And it was a huge mystery. Big, big story. And in fact, uh, President Reagan in his State of the Union, the next one, which would have been in early 1985, mentioned her in the State of the Union address. Well, it went unsolved for all of these years. Mm-hmm. And then in 2019, there was a, a gas, natural gas crew that was digging pipe outside of Greeley, well outside of Greeley, Colorado, and came across bones that ended up being Janelle Matthews. And that they had the skull and there was a bullet hole in the skull. So it was certainly a murder. There was a guy who had infused himself into the investigation very early on, like in late, early 1985. So just not even a month after her disappearance. His name is Steve Fankey. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have time to get into all the details, but kind of a strange guy saying he knew stuff, but couldn't prove it. He wanted immunity. And so he eventually became a person of interest, even though seemingly had no connection he- to Janelle or the family or anything else. He actually ran well, for sheriff for the county, right? That's right. He tried he to. for a variety of positions in Idaho and out there, yes, in Colorado. So in 2019, when her remains were found, of course, his name starts coming popping back up. They start looking into him again. Well, he becomes a Patreon supporter of mine. And I didn't even know who he was. I, didn't, I, I maybe had heard of Janelle Matthews, but, you know, that's probably about it. And then he eventually admitted to me, you know, I'm being... Um, you know, I'm suspected of killing this little girl, Janelle Matthews. I didn't do it. I want to come on to your podcast and I want to talk about this and show everybody that I'm innocent. Wow. Okay. And this is not something I usually do. I, of course, you know, fa- uh, victims, families, not, you know, suspected killers. Right. So I talked with my assistants. They thought it was a good idea. So I did it. And I now understand he had reached out to many shows I was one of the only people who took took the opportunity to interview him. And I did yeah. it the same way with an outline and everything else. I didn't treat him any differently. Well, he was eventually charged with Janelle's murder. And my interview that I did with him in October 2019 became part of the evidence for the trial trial that was held in October of 2021. So two years later. And so to represent the interview and to to testify that yes this is what happened this is how it happened there's no edits in it or anything like that i had to go out there they flew me out there in late october of last year they put me up in a hotel that was right across this very beautiful park from the courthouse i went in there and i really didn't talk a lot um the prosecution i was invited by the prosecution they asked me some questions and then they played the entire interview and so I had to sit on the stand for like over three hours saying nothing. <laughs> while the Just listening to yourself. Yeah. And all I'm doing is like staring at the spot in front of me the whole time. And then that, that went over into the next day. And then the, the defense got to ask me some questions, only like two questions. And, and I was done. But it was because of this interview that I did with Steve that, uh, and the reason I now know it was important is because he told me things that... You know, he told me one thing, but he told other people other things. You know, he changed his right. story. Now, you should know it ended in a hung jury. So they're going to do it all over again in Greeley. I've not been contacted yet. 
We'll see if they ask me to go out there again, if they're going to use the interview. But right now I'm working with a, a company out of uh, England. They want to do a series on all of this. And so You're I'm kidding. working with them. I have a contract oh, wow. with them that we talk once in a while and they're working on that. What kind of gets in the way is there's going to be another trial. So it's going to get put off probably doing the series for at least a little bit. But that's how it happened. But this is one of those things. When you have an opportunity, uh, like as a podcast host to interview somebody, you just never know where it's going to go. You have to take those opportunities. Like I said, my impression is many people blew them off for whatever reason. Right. And, I, and my assistant's actually had to convince me to do it. And I'm glad I did. Thank you, assistants. That's why they're my assistants. <laughs> <laughs> they, they set yeah. me right when I maybe I'm thinking I shouldn't do something. You know, I'm making a bad decision. They set me right. That's amazing. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. So how, how do you, what, what do you, uh, and maybe, maybe you're not supposed to give your opinion, but what do you think about his situation there? Do you think he, uh, he played a role in that? Uh, I will tell you that myself and some of my assistants differ. Uh, I think most of my assistants, especially my assistant Sheree, who probably I talk to the most about specific cases and things. Uh, she certainly believes that, that Steve did it. I am, I am much more doubtful given what I think I know about disappearances, which Janelle's was a disappearance for 35 years. I think the reason it ended up in a hung jury is because the prosecution could never put street Steve on that street at that very narrow amount of time to, to say that he did it. Now what right. complicates matters is because of how he acted but it also complicates matters is that the guy who dropped Janelle off, who was Janelle's friend's father, and the, this friend was also in the car, this guy, Russ, Russell Ross, he used to work with Steve Pankey. And they had kind of a beef of something from years before. So that then also caused the police to think that there was something going on here. Is it a coincidence? Greeley's kind of a small town. So that kind of complicated, you know, the whole thing as well, but they just never could put Steve on, you know, on that street at the same, at the right time. Uh, in addition, the defense presented a plausible alternative theory that there was this guy who lived across the street who admitted that he was watching women from his house with binoculars back at the time. And he lived, like you said, lived right across the street from Janelle. He was allegedly gone maybe around the time that Janelle would, would have been getting home and it was right. just enough for there to be this question mark in some people's minds obviously but i don't know what the split was it very well may have been from 12 drawers that 11 of them thought steve was guilty i, I really don't right know. right yeah and, and that's and that's one of the the things with cases this old in the first place right is like uh you can't exactly go out and re-interview people i mean you can but how reliable is is memory of like other mm -hmm. certain details that you might be asking about so it's it, it's it's kind of hard to to get that sort of information so so far right. down the line new information just you're you're not going to get it so yeah i think steve panky's uh you know his guilt you know i think it's certainly up in the air you can debate either side right uh, yeah certainly you know you certainly can uh, and, yeah, and obviously you got a hung jury, myself right? And so. three have done it a few times, so right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, you had said you had something else at eight o'clock, right? 
So I don't want to keep no, it too late. No, not, no, no, no. That was yesterday. No, we can go. Oh, as that was long the food. You, okay. Uh, no. okay, good. However long you want to go, uh, I'm always ready to talk. No, that was last night. I actually had to do an interview uh, for disappearance out of North Carolina. That will be for the September 9th episode of Unfound coming up. So we got about two and a half weeks. That was last night. But yeah, we, we're all clear. It sounds sounds like the cops found you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you hear that? Wow, that's amazing. Uh, I yeah. could hear that. I didn't know that it could be picked up by the computer. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, we have to make sure our noise gates are on because all kinds of noises in our backgrounds usually. <laughs> okay. I'm just hoping the puppy isn't chewing anything up upstairs. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I'm trying to think. Of, is, does anyone else in the audience have any questions? I know we've kind of lost a few people at this point. Hmm. Yeah, just a handful. How do you guys uh, find, maybe we should, maybe talk about this. Maybe I'll ask you a question. Um, yeah. How much time would you say it takes to put one of your, I've been asked this question before, so I'll ask you, how much time does it usually take to put a, an entire uh, podcast episode of yours together from the first time you talk to somebody to it being published? Usually within, well, it depends Five on how lazy seven days. I'm being. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, well, usually we record on a Tuesday or Wednesday uh, and then have it out for Sunday. At least we try to have it out that, that same Sunday. But that's, uh, as far as the actual time put into it, um, you know, maybe in half hour's worth of communicating with messages or whatnot, trying to get a hold of them, the actual recording of the podcast is, you know, roughly an hour. Um, and then the editing takes another maybe three or four uh hours so yeah it's five or six hours in total maybe um for of, of actual work time to get it in there and then you know there's the waiting for the upload and all that stuff yeah. that doesn't really count right right okay yeah yeah I, ima I imagine your process is significantly longer especially because of the amount of work that you put into it yeah um you know, it just depends on how the interview goes. Uh, you know, if we don't have a lot of edits, there's not a lot of mistakes or we have to take pauses because maybe we get confused or something, then, you know, really we could just, I can go right from, you know, uh, just put it right into the, the timeline. But um, now that I'm doing video, you know, that certainly adds uh, another layer to it uh, uh, because we, I now on our YouTube channel, you can now see me, you can see the guests and us talking back and forth very much like how we're doing here. That has right. certainly added another element uh, to all this. It's certainly extended the time, but I, I think that after a few months of doing this now, I've gotten a little more streamlined with it and have things maybe pre a little bit prepared beforehand. And I usually edit the audio first and then I just write down the timeline number. So then all I have to do is go to the video and go to those specific places and kind of, right. dice, you know, take those things, uh, kind of take those things out. Yeah, that that was one of the things going for, for us from going from just audio over to video is it was easier with the audio because you just cut, oh, excuse me, you can cut wherever, you know, if like, oh, there's a weird noise in the background, you can cut it out, whatever. It's not that big a deal. But now with there being video in there, it's, very obvious when you have to make that sort of cut and sometimes it looks a little funny. Yeah. So you have to yeah. fill it in with this or that or have, you know, some sort of a, 
a clean looking transition. It's hard when they're multiple back to back. But oh, we do have another question in here. Um, when working with non-family members, how do you build rapport and understand the personality of those who are missing? It's a good question. And, and it's very, I think this is a very good question. I know Jill very well. In fact, I want all of you to know that Jill as a longtime listener. She's a think tank member and she's doing some fantastic work uh, with a disappearance that happened in uh, her area of the country, Arizona, a disappearance we covered earlier this year. Uh, she and one of my assistants, Carrie, and the sister of the missing young man, they're just finding out so much more about this disappearance. So, Jill, uh, thank you, and thank you for the question. But I'm telling you, she's she's spectacular uh, as a kind of an amateur sleuth out there, and she's helped me with um, with some other things, uh, given her pro uh, professional expertise regarding unfound. As far as that question That's goes, awesome. um. This is very interesting because the interview I did yesterday was with a non-family member and really because nobody in the family uh, would respond. And I really don't want to say, you know, the disappearance right now, but I'd gone to the Facebook page, had posted something, got a lot of positive responses. Oh yeah, they got to do this. Family got to do this. And then they never responded. Well, then what happened was somebody, uh, this young woman, uh, approached me through messenger and said, you know what? I've been working on this disappearance for years and here's what I have. And so she sent me all this stuff that she's been working on because probably like me, you probably get a lot, maybe some kook emails and kook messages and, and things like that. Me too. So you have to be very careful when somebody says, oh yeah, I know all about this, you know, this disappearance and I can be mm -hmm. uh, the guest and everything else. I'm always very leery of that. Right. Sent me a lot of material. We had a lot of good conversations back and forth. And she has talked to people who knew this missing person. She hasn't talked to the family because it seems these days the disappearance is about 15 years old. I think the family probably has gotten a little burned out or a little, you know, hope, feeling of uh, hopeless or something like that. But she has reached out to some of these people and talked to some of these people who are who was around who were around this young man when he went missing. And so you just have to do it that way. I don't ever want to rule out a disappearance because I can't talk to a family member. I'm certainly willing to talk to somebody who's knowledgeable, who's objective, who's doing good work out there. Those people will always be welcomed on Unfound. And so this right. young woman uh, certainly qualified. She did a spectacular interview. And so you just have to kind of glean as much as you can, even though the person you're talking to didn't know the missing person, you just have to do your best. But I don't want it to be so set in my ways. What well, has to be a family member or else. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and that's, and it is, it is obviously the most for us, at least it's, it is super important to try and talk to so like a family member or a very close friend, you know, someone, uh, but if not, we, we want to talk to a subject matter expert, someone who's, who, who gives us information that seems, uh, trustworthy, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it is definitely always best to try and talk to, talk to the family members because that's for us, at least that's, that's sort of the most important part is the, the family side of things. The story is close to being connected to the individual that's missing as possible. You know, get their actual story about out there, who they were, what they were about, what sort of person they were, and it's it to me. It seems like it's a lot more impactful to the people listening too. You know, it's it's a lot closer to the heart. You know, it, it makes it real, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and even though Unfound, uh, you know, after six years is known as mostly interviewing family members, I've interviewed a, a lot of non-family members. I mean, I've uh, Anthony at crimeblogger.blogspot, uh, crimeblogger1983.blogspot.com. He's been on the podcast like five times, and he's a blogger, but he does good work. Heather Grotman, right. who is at the lostandfoundblogs.com, she's been on at least three three times. She's doing great work. Uh, you know, I certainly want to recognize these people who, um, in fact, I was just talking to uh, messaging with Heather today. Um, you know, she's doing great work. And so, you know, if you're doing great work, you're always going to be welcome on found. You know, so right, yeah. right. uh, you know, Caroline Lowe, who was a longtime Minnesota reporter who covered Jacob Wetterling's disappearance. We now know it was a murder. Jacob was found, but her covering that, Jody Hoosentruth, she's a member of the Find Jody team at findjody.com. She's been on Unfound twice. You know, she hasn't had any family members go missing, but these professional people doing good work. Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, yeah awesome. absolutely. Now, how has your relationship been with law enforcement? Have you had to reach out to them and try to work with them? And are they, you know, willing to talk to you and share information with you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a a saying, a motto that I've had basically since the beginning. I don't talk to people who aren't going to tell me anything. Uh, I'm not in the law. I'm not in the law business. I'm in the information business. So I've talked to some law enforcement people. In fact, I will tell you that there have been a couple law enforcement people who I, you know, have kind of in the deep background. If I need something explained regarding um, procedure and thing like things Mm -hmm. like that. But really, I think I've only ever had one, well, technically two, although one, he's not a police officer anymore. He was just re- before he retired that when he came on. But I've really only had one working police officer ever on Unfound, and that was for the um, Mary Jane Van Gilder disappearance, which is the oldest one we've ever covered on Unfound going back, I think, to 1945. This is a police officer in the 21st century who is now trying to solve that disappearance out of Ohio. And he's currently on the job and he's working on that. And so he was on, but I have to tell you, um, I'll I'll give you an example. I I covered a disappearance of Jennifer Perry. was it earlier this year or late last year? But this is a disappearance out of Marathon, Florida from 1993. Young 13-year-old girl seemingly walked away, never to be found. This is essentially out in Key West. That's the Key West area. And so I was able to track down uh, a, a police officer who at one time, he's retired now, but was responsible for her foul kind of between 2000 and 2010 in that county where Marathon, Florida is. I ended up finding him. He talked to me once. It was an okay conversation, not the greatest conversation. After I continued to amass information and talk to Jennifer's mother and sister uh, a little bit more, I tried to go back to him. He would not return any of my emails, would not return any of my calls. And that has been my experience. You get maybe to talk to one of these people and I was never going to mention his name and I still will never mention his name because he didn't want it mentioned and I won't mention it now. But this has been my experience. They just tend to be, you know, flaky or, or, or something. 
that they're just not very reliable and they don't want to tell you a lot, even though you have a lot of information that you can share with them. Now, maybe the exception when I interviewed, when I covered Mark Heimbaugh's disappearance earlier this year. Um, now, Rich McHale is a retired police officer and he's made it his life work, life's work to try to figure out what happened to Mark Heimbaugh in New Jersey. And this is a, a boy who went missing in the early 90s in New Jersey. And Rich for a time was kind of responsible for it. Now he's written a book and it's sold a lot and everything. Fantastic interview. Now maybe that's the ex another exception like this guy, this police officer from Ohio, but my experience with law enforcement has not been good. I, no. I don't I don't sit around waiting for FOIAs to show up and things like that normally. Yeah. I, I'm all, you know, nobody's going to put, you know, gonna delay when I want to cover a disappearance. So, right. um, and you never know what you're going to get in, you know, filing for information anyway. So I, it's just not a, it's just not a priority talking to police. It's just not. Yeah. We've, we've only talked to two cops. Uh, one of them actually was a detective that reached out to us, um, to sort of spread the story about, uh, a lady, uh, well, a couple that had gone missing and hmm. another one we'd contacted more of, uh, had a lot of questions about sort of the timeline of events from like the, the family's side of things. So we actually called up the, the uh, police officer and talked to him directly that was involved in the, in the situation to sort of get his side of things. Cause there was a it sounded very uh, mishandled the way it was, uh, the way it was done, you know, just ask for clarification yeah. on sort of their policy and on how they do things and why they did things that way. But that's all we've ever had to do is just the two, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think it was probably a week ago after I found out that we'd be doing this interview that I was actually driving. It was a week ago today that I was actually, I think, driving, or maybe it was a Friday. It was maybe it was Friday that I was driving to go play uh, some disc golf with my buddy Kevin, and I was listening to. I just happened to pick out uh, one of your episodes where you were talking to a police officer, but I think it was a female police officer. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, that was the one. Okay, yeah, and I listened to that episode. So yeah. Yeah, that was that's kind of ironic. Yeah, yeah, it was mm -hmm. it was actually pretty interesting being being trying to be contacted by one of you know an actual detective of, of the case, and she was just trying to you know get the the story out there to try and you know right. breathe some life back into it, try and get some information from people who might know something. So, and that's yeah. that's good to see though a cop who wants to, who, who's yeah, willing I, to to get help and trying to to help the family. Yeah, absolutely, and I think sure. one of the issues. Once again, just my insight is that, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. I was born in, you know, 1970 and I did get some computer training, you know, like in high school, you know, computers were just starting to get into high schools. And so I think Gen Xers have this very, you know, we're very comfortable around computers. And of course, all the generations after are certainly really comfortable with computers. But I will tell you, that this guy I spoke to who was retired, who was somewhere in his early to mid sixties now regarding Jennifer Perry's disappearance, you know, he, he talked about computers as if they were the model, as if they were model T's, you know, I don't even, you know, he didn't even know what a podcast was. If he was a police <laughs> officer. Wow. And this is also, once again, this is something that I've encountered. It's just the one that's popping into my head right now. So how can police officers, now granted, a lot of those, that generation is now retiring, which I think is good. 
And I think as we all get older, I think you're going to have more police officers who feel much more comfortable doing interviews because they understand the medium, they understand the technology, they understand uh, you know what can be how it can be used. Whereas a lot of these police officers who are older than I am, I just don't think they do because they didn't get that training really, really, really early in their lives like I did kind of in junior high school into high school with computers. Right. We're just recognizing the fact that, that it is a tool and it can be yes. extremely valuable like that. that I mean, that's really what it comes down to, right? That's right. You, you look at Sarah Turney. Uh, Sarah Turney pretty much single-handedly solved her sister's case, you know, got the wow. DA to finally charge her dad and everything so it's definitely a tool that can help these cases yeah uh sarah was on unfound back in 2018 i will tell you though and i've not talked to, to sarah for quite a while i fully i of course fully support her but you know it's still to me a very circumstantial case i'm perfectly willing to believe that michael turney killed Alyssa. i'm perfectly willing to believe that but there's no i don't think there's any proof of you know, and the last thing you want is a DA to be kind of felt obligated to go to trial because the family has ex such high expectations and being not forced, but kind of guilted into it maybe a little bit. And mm -hmm. then, you you know, you get a hung jury like they did right. with Steve Frankie, a very circumstantial case. You know, that's the last thing you want. Right, uh, right. It's important. It's so, important to get to get the right person, but you you all you do have to go through the the right steps to get there. Because right. if you're if you're off, then the defense is going to tear it apart. That's right. Yeah. There's no body every, cases. All your ducks in a row. You know, these no body cases. They try to charge people with things um, with no body. It's tough. Yeah. You know, it's there's a lot of uh, you know. A lot of wiggle room is what I, I like to call it. And certainly I feel that way with Alyssa's case. Certainly. Yeah. And I've talked about this is not the first time I'm bringing that up. I've brought that up many times before. Yeah. yeah. And sorry, just getting seeing your message now, Kirk, but hello to you as well if you're still in here. I know you sent that a while ago. <laughs> Deep in conversation. Kurt, try to hope you're feeling better, buddy. Is there anything that you, Ed, want to tell the listeners um, about Unfound that we haven't already covered, or like sure, what, um, what is your mission statement? Excuse me. Do you have a mission statement? Like, uh, nothing that's typed out. No. Um, uh, I, my mission is just to cover disappearances as well as I can. Uh, maybe, maybe even a little bit arrogantly. I, I want to make sure that I cover disappearance so well that nobody else can cover it you know because hey. you know there's just like nothing on the bone that's left to be picked off kind of thing <laughs> right kind of become become the resource yeah that's you know i want it to be that when we cover a disappearance everything you ever need to know is all in one place right it's maybe a little Excellent. arrogant this is not something where i of course my guests want to go do other podcasts absolutely fine excellent um but when i do my work that's how I think about it. We're just going to cover everything, but factually, we don't do a lot of theorizing or maybe no theorizing most of the time. We're just going to cover the details as best as we can, and I let the listeners decide. Um, I do not get into, well, what if this happened and what if that happened? And I don't allow the, the guests to 
say, well, I think that John Doe killed my daughter and this, we don't do those things, but it's the mission statement is just to cover these disappearances as best that can be done under the circumstances. Right. But, you know, uh, what? You know I, I'd like to think that, that given my background, that, you know, I'll bring a lot of different aspects to it. I love to write. I've written novels. Uh, you know, the beginning, you talked about like the beginning of the podcast, how it starts out. I love that really um, very concise, you know, using as few words as possible. You know, when I'm writing the scripts and, you know, after the music, that may be like that kind of theme that I try to set up. I love doing those things. You know, these are some of the things that I try to bring to Unfound that, like I said, I think that my background is a lot different than a lot of other people's, uh, you know, with all the writing that I've done and some of the public speaking and everything. And so I try to bring that uh, to Unfound um, because I, I think it makes it unique. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, what uh what where where can people find all your stuff just for, for anyone listening now sure. what what uh, where, where can they find all your content thank you um of course facebook both the discussion group and the facebook page and i've even been known to accept friend requests from listeners once in a while it just depends sometimes i do get a lot of crazy friends requests sometimes you know you get that friend request you, and you, profile. you accept mine <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, you look at it, it's just like there's just like one picture, and they're not yeah. friends with anybody else you're friends with, and it says like they're from yeah. Thailand or something like that. That those people probably aren't going to get accepted, but you certainly could uh, friend me, uh, and now we're going to find out a lot, a lot about Ed Densel that has nothing to do with Unfound. I think if people follow my personal page, I keep it very light. I make a lot of jokes and things, and rarely ever do I talk about Unfound there. But for Unfound. The Facebook page, the discussion group. We have the website, theunfoundpodcast.com. We are on Instagram where I post the pictures of the missing people uh, we're, you know, that person we're covering for this week. We're on Twitter where I also, you were bringing up earlier how I like to publicize recent disappearances. I do that on Twitter too. I post where you know wherever the United States and Canada, hashtagging that, that, that city, that state, that, right. that province um we're there on twitter uh, of course we're you know itunes spotify which is really where unfound gets started i used to be on podomatic but moved over to megaphone slash spotify earlier this year um you know iheart you know all the places that most uh podcasts are and probably the newest thing that you brought up uh, very early on in in this interview is now I've turned the Unfound live show that has just been on YouTube, I've turned it into a podcast. So it's video on, on, on Monday nights. People can see me like everybody can see us now. But now the audio version, I take the I strip away the audio or video from the audio, and it is now a podcast. And that is something that's just happening uh, right now. It has been accepted to iTunes and all of those places. So awesome. now this is something, it'll, even though the show's on Monday nights, it'll come out on Tuesday sometime. We'll see what kind of attention it gets. It, it's, a, of course, a little more laid back than the podcast is. I talk a little bit more about things going on in my life and funny things and disc golf and power. I'm losing power here in my condo building and 
things to pop up. But then we get into like national true crime news and I give some opinions on things. And it's just kind of a potpourri smorgasbord of true crime stuff all put together that I really don't know if anything like that is out there right now. Everything is very like the regular podcast is very focused on one case or or something. And it's just a little bit more of a variety show you might call it. So it's called Unfound Live. You can do a search for it on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere. I hope people will subscribe to it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Well, Ed, if you have uh, nothing else, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was about to say the same thing that you are. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll try to wrap it up. We've gone on for an hour and 20 minutes talking here, so we'll give everyone a break, I guess. <laughs> we really you appreciate you for, coming on, Ed. Oh, well, it's, been, it's been great. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, always happy to talk talk to people that are doing the same work and doing good work. Uh, yeah, it's always it's always nice. Thanks. Yeah. All right, don't yeah. pop out yet. We'll uh, we'll just say bye to everyone, and then we can say our goodbyes after. But thank you, everyone, for for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, and like he said, you can find it easy on, on the Unfound podcast. Find it on pretty much any content platform that uh, that you use. So, <laughs> thank you, Donna. All right, everyone, you guys have a great night, and uh, we'll talk to you all later. <laughs>